Let me just open up our time together in prayer, and then I just want to dive into the message that I have for us this morning. And I'm just going to pray first and ask God to guide us as we look into our passage that we have out of the book of Revelation this morning. But I want to pray first. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for our time together that we're going to have in your word. I thank you for Jesus. Um, Boy, without him, what do we have? And this letter that he wrote to... um, this church called Smyrna in the book of Revelation. It's such an encouragement, and uh, I want that to be our case this morning. I want uh, it to be an encouragement to us. And some of us, uh, I really do believe, need to hear this encouragement. We may be going through some deeper waters, some, uh, some struggles, some valleys perhaps, and this letter is such an encouragement, Lord. It has been to me, and I know it will be to uh, possibly many others this morning. And so we just open ourselves up to that today and just ask that you would... Um, Take it, use it for your purposes and for uh, those who are ready to hear what you've got for us today. And so, Lord, we turn it over to you. Look forward to what your spirit has for us this morning through your word. And we ask these precious truths, ask for you to speak to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Um, I don't know what about you, but I, I feel fairly confident in being able to say that not very many of us get letters anymore. My wife is one of those fortunate people who three times a year, she still gets a letter. Uh, It's from her friend uh, named Grace, and Grace writes three times a year, and I can give you the exact times. So one comes at Easter, one comes at my wife's birthday, and and one comes at Christmas. And, And it's not that Grace isn't technologically capable. I mean, she still obviously knows what texting and what email is all about, but Grace still hand writes letters to my wife. And so when the, um, the letter comes in the mail, I, I see it. It's, it's got that uh, uh, clear handwriting by grace, uh, and it comes to Sue, and, and I just smile each time that Sue gets a letter. And, and they're just so unusual in this day and age in which we live that someone gets a letter. And if you still get them, I, I encourage you to um, receive them with joy. And if you don't know what that is, then, then perhaps you can ask somebody what a letter is because it's so rare and so unusual. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Revelation because Jesus wrote seven letters in the book of Revelation. And one of them was to this church called Smyrna. And um, out of the seven letters, five of them were, shall we say, corrective in nature or uh, they were rebukes. And two of them were just simply letters of encouragement. Uh, One was to a church called Smyrna, and the other was to a church called Philadelphia, and they did not have any rebuke or corrective nature to them whatsoever. They were letters of encouragement. And and that one, that to the church of Smyrna, is one that we're going to look at today, and so I trust it will be a blessing and encouragement to us. Uh, And so if you've got your Bibles, open it up to um, Revelation chapter 1, because we want to look at a little bit of background first before we get right into the letter at Smyrna, but let's just get a little bit of the the background, what Smyrna was all about. Um, The church of Smyrna... um, was the, the third largest city of Turkey today. It was a, a proud and beautiful city which loved its association with Rome. And on its coins was inscribed first of Asia in beauty and size. And we'll get a little bit more into that a little later on. But before we get too much further, I want us to see something that Daryl Johnson points out in his commentary called Discipleship on the Edge. And I have three thoughts for us today, and I just want to break it down, our message, in, into these three thoughts. The thought number one is this, the significance of worship. And that's found, we've got to go back into Revelation chapter 1 before we get to Revelation chapter 2 where the letter to Smyrna is. 
And, and I want us to really take some time pondering that, that the significance of worship is so important. And that's found in Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And you see, first of all, we, we need to understand that, revela- that worship changes our perspective. You see, Johnson says this in his commentary, and I want us to, it's a little bit of a longer quote, but I want us to, to read through this and understand that. And listen to what Johnson says. While on Patmos, John was given by Jesus a fresh revelation of our Lord himself. Chapter 1, verse 1. While worshiping in the Spirit on the Lord's day, 1, verse 9, John heard a voice behind him, a voice like the sound of a trumpet, clear and crisp. And when he turned to see the voice, he saw the risen Jesus, the same person whom he had known back in Palestine some 60 years earlier, only now gloriously transformed. Chapter 1, verses 11 through to 18 tell us that. While worshiping, that is the key, end of quote. That's what Johnson says. So I want to spend a little time thinking about that because Johnson points out, he says, while worshiping, that is the key. While worshiping. So John received this revelation while worshiping. I just want us to pause for a few moments and take that in. John received the message while worshiping. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever received a message from our Savior while you were worshiping? Maybe it was while you were out in creation, and it was a sunrise or a sunset, or perhaps you were hiking or camping, and God reminded you that he holds the whole world in his hands, and he holds your life in his hands as well, and it's going to be okay. Maybe you held that newborn in your arms for the very first time, and you were overcome with emotion, at the preciousness in his sight because he knows every single fiber of that child's being and you paused to worship the creator God. You knew that God had knit that child together possibly in your womb or in his or her mother's womb and that child you just knew was precious in God's sight. Uh, maybe you were in church and, and you were singing a song that you had sung a hundred times before. And you didn't need words up on the screen or on a sheet of paper in front of you or even in a hymnal. Because the words this time coming out of your mouth weren't just words coming out of your mouth. There was a movement that was happening in your heart that was different. You see, John... He saw things different on the island of Patmos. While he was worshiping, what happened? Well, he saw Jesus. You see, you and I, when we're worshiping, we will see things differently. What do I mean? Well, I, I don't mean that whatever problems we're facing will be all gone when we're finished worshiping. No, um, I'll walk into a worship service and, and I may have huge problems at work or I, I may be facing financial difficulties or, or physical or mental issues or medical issues or I may have relational issues. I may have a child at home that's sick. I may have a hundred other possibilities that are just problematic for me. And after the worship service is over, the reality exists that all those things will probably still be there. But my perspective will have changed. How? 
the Spirit of God will have reminded me who sits on the throne. And that's just for starters. What else does worship do? Well, worship humbles me. It gets my attention and focus back where it should be. Listen to these words from Revelation chapter 1, verse, or Revelation chapter 19. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 4, we read these words. It says, The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then verse 6 says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Hmm. I think think we get worship wrong so often. John got it wrong. And look where he was. The angel corrected him by pointing him back to God and saying, Worship God. Worship God. Worship God. You see, that is where my heart needs to be. That is where our hearts need to go. It humbles us. And it's a good thing for us to be humbled. Worship God as the angel instructed John. Well, let's move on to our second thought. And that moves us into chapter 2 of Revelation. Thought number 2 is this. The significance of the first and the last. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. You see, Jesus comforts the, the believers at Smyrna. And when he gets to them, it says the angel of the church in Smyrna wrote, to the angel of the church of Smyrna, he wrote, he said that he was the, the, the first and the last. But let's just break things down for a minute. Jesus comforts the followers really with a statement of fact. As I mentioned earlier, Smyrna loved this idea of their status. And on their currency, they had imprinted first city of Asia in size and beauty. They just loved this idea of being first. It was important to them. The city had been destroyed in 580 B.C., but had come back to life, if you will, or been rebuilt in 290 B.C. But Jesus comes along, and in verse 8 here, and with even greater, with even greater story, because he announces to them that he's the first and the last who had died and come back to life again. Well, that's a huge claim. But listen to what prophet, the prophet Isaiah says. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 4, we read this word, these words. I, Yahweh, am the first, and with the last, I am he. And then in chapter 43, verse 10, we read, Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. Isaiah 44, verse 6. I am the first, and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Isaiah 48, verse 12. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. You see... This is such a powerful claim for the church of Smyrna. Jesus is telling them that powers like Rome will come and powers like Rome will go, but Jesus will still be ruling and reigning and no one will ever 
overthrow him. He wants them to understand that so clearly. You see, we have now how many years of human history that tell the story that dictators have come and dictators have gone and despots have come and despots have gone and rulers have thought they were untouchable, but all of a sudden they discovered that they weren't. They came and they went. But Jesus, where is he? Well, he's still on the throne because he said to the church at Smyrna, what's true? That he's the first and he's the last. And he's still true today and it's still ruling and reigning. He is still ruling and reigning. Scholars say that, the, that verse 8 covers both his deity and his humanity. The first part refers to his deity and the second part covers his humanity. The church at Smyrna was facing a big enemy and Jesus gave them hope. What are you facing today? What struggles? What, what valley are you going through? What, what issue are you struggling with? What what problem is there that looks so big that you need to hear the words of Jesus today? This statement of fact, I am the first and the last. I give you his words as words of encouragement this morning. Well, thought number three, there's the significance that he knows. Revelation chapter 2, verses 9 through to 11. The church of Smyrna, and this is so important for us to hear, The church of Smyrna had done nothing wrong, but they were still going to suffer. Verse 9. Jesus said, I know your afflictions. Wow. I know your afflictions. Those are hard words to hear for us. Again, let me share with you what Daryl Johnson Johnson said in his commentary. He used this Greek word. Uh, The Greek word used here is thalipsis. And it's a strong word. Its essential meaning is pressure, or more exactly, crushing pressure. And the disciples in Smyrna were living out their faith under thalipsis, under crushing pressure. So Jesus knew that they were suffering. He says he knew about their poverty. Why were they so poor? You see, Smyrna was a wealthy city. The ruling elite did very, very well. But for Christians, it wasn't a wealthy city. They were shunned. If they ran businesses, well, their businesses were set apart by others not to be done business with, not to do business with them, or sometimes their businesses were even confiscated. The ruling elite and Jews conspired together to make sure Christians were cut off from society. I came across this insight from Charles Swindoll in his book actually called Insights. He writes about what it would have been like in Smyrna. Listen as I read what Swindoll wrote. And you might want to just even close your eyes and imagine what it uh, could have been like. And, and listen as I read to you this part that Swindoll sort of wrote and pictured what first that would have been like in, in Smyrna back in the, that, those days. So just close your eyes and listen as I read to you this picture that Swindoll paints for us for the church in Smyrna. And I quote, Imagine yourself sitting among the gathering of God's people in Smyrna on a cold morning before sunrise. A small lamp-lit room 
houses the remnant of beaten and beleaguered church members. The once lively crowd of Christians now displays obvious gaps where men and women once sat. Some have fallen away under the persecution. Others are simply gone, arrested, exiled, or executed. Some of you risked your lives just to meet this morning to pray, to sing hymns to God, and to read from Holy Scripture. All of you are outcasts, desperate for a word of encouragement from the messenger sitting in your midst. In the dim light, the pastor unrolls the scroll and begins to read with a calm, quiet confidence. Whispering and shuffling in the room ceases when you hear from whom the message comes the risen Lord himself. The entire group seems to hold its breath when Christ begins his commendation. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. End of quote. You see, there are there are computing, compute, competing value systems. Smyrna was a beautiful city with what seemed like a stable economy for most people. If you bowed to the right kings and idols, it was clear. It was overt. But Christians, they had made their decisions and... Once you made the decision as a Christian, well, you, you suffered consequences. Let's hear what James 2 verse 5 says. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? And what did Jesus say in Luke chapter 21? When the widows dropped in two small coins to the temple treasury... She has put in more than all the others they gave out of their wealth, Jesus said, but she gave out of her poverty. Jesus has a different value system. Jesus told the believers of Smyrna that they were rich because he was looking at eternity. You see, we live in a world where we feel pressure to conform to their value system in all kinds of ways. It could be today that we feel pressure. It might be financial pressure. It could be sexual pressure. It could be family pressure or a host of other ways that our society wants us to conform. But what we need to do is we need to clearly look at it and say, well, the values of our society and the values that we have in this book called God's Word, the Bible, which values are we going to adhere to? And when we find that they compete and when they clash, well, that's when we have choices to make, just like the believers in Smyrna had to make. Do the values that the society tries to impose upon us, do they clash with the values that the Word of God says? Well, then we have choices to make. At that point, will we choose 
what the book has to say. And sometimes that's going to have to cost, just like it cost in the days of Smyrna. Well, maybe that there'll be a thalipsis for us, a crushing pressure that you and I will feel in our day and age. Well, the good news is, just like Jesus said to the believers in Smyrna, he knows, and he will know today as well. Well, let's clear up the second part of verse 9 as well. Daniel Aiken, in his commentary on Revelation, says this. Uh, first, there, there is these descendants of Abraham, and I quote, First, there, these were descendants of Abraham by physical birth, but not by spiritual birth. In John chapter 8, verse 44, we find words quite similar, as Jesus said, of those unbelieving Jews. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Ultimately, Satan was the real enemy. So let's be clear about that. That's, end of quote. We want to be clear about that. You see, let's be understanding who the real enemy is. He wanted them to look behind what was going on and to see the real enemy. We can look at that in other places in Scripture as well. What did Paul say in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12? He said, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But there's also a message of hope here. In verses 10 and 11, the message comes in two distinct statements. The first statement that Jesus gives them is this, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now in verse 9, Jesus had told them he knew about their pressure and their suffering. And he had, told, he had said that they had already endured, but now he tells them don't be afraid because actually more is coming. Well, how can they balance those two things out? Well, let me explain. When he says that the devil will put some of them in prison, that's just going back to this picture of a bigger, a bigger battle that's going on behind the scenes. He wants them to see who is behind that battle that is being raged. The church that I was pastoring and being part of the, uh, the pastoral staff in Kamloops, every Sunday we prayed for persecuted churches in our world. Every Sunday. Christians are still suffering today. Just like there were churches, just like the church in Smyrna, well, still today, that battle is still raging. Listen to these statistics that are released by Open Doors who monitor what is happening to Christians in close countries around our world. Listen to this, and I quote, Every day, 13 Christians are killed because of their faith. Every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned, and another five are abducted. This is taken from an article entitled, The 50 Countries Where It's Most Dangerous to Follow Jesus in 2021. The listed nations, now listen to this, the listed nations contain 309 million Christians living in places with very high or extreme levels of persecution up from, now listen, up from 260 million in last year's list. That was taken from an article in Christianity Today, in January of 2021. So, 309 million Christians living today in places with very high or extreme levels of persecution. That's today. The persecution that we are talking about is the threat of losing your life for your beliefs or losing your business or being tortured. And let me just be clear, it's not about a bit of inconvenience because of COVID-19 guidelines. I just want us to understand that what was going on in Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2 
hasn't dissipated in our world today. So the words, words that Jesus was giving to the church at Smyrna are words that are still being read and applied in churches around our world today. Now, scholars are mixed on the 10 days that we read in the same passage. Some think the 10 days were a fixed, clear, or short period of time. Others think that it was a, a clear period, but it was a little bit longer period of time. But anyway, you look at it, they were going to be suffering. Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. But secondly, he also says to them, be faithful. Hang in there. Stay the course, even to the point of death. And according to the report from Open Doors, last year, now listen to this, last year 4,761 Christians were martyred for their faith. 4,761. So the words of Jesus to the church at Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2 are still being lived out in our world today. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the victor's crown. Remember, remember I want us to hear this. There is no note of correction for the believers of Smyrna. It wasn't like they were doing something wrong, so they were suffering because they were somehow sinning for their, uh, in, their, in their walk with Jesus. Jesus loved these believers. They are precious in his sight. So let's be clear. In the midst of his letter to them, he is not rebuking or correcting them. He is simply letting them know, in these hard times, suffering is simply coming their way. So let's review. Where is Jesus? Well, he's right here with them. So if you're suffering, I want you to remind, be, I want to remind you. If you're going through hard times, where is he? He's right here beside you. Who is Jesus? Well, we remember in this passage that he is the first and the last. He's the one who died and came back to life again. What else is significant? Well, he knows. He knows your situation. And so right now, take heart. He knows. Don't be afraid. Be faithful. These are the words of Jesus to you today. In reference to verse 11, one scholar put it this way. The first death, we all die. The second death is the final death. Eternal expulsion from the presence of God. Jesus does not promise immunity from the first, but he does promise immunity from the second. We are all going to die the first death, so the real issue is the second those who remain loyal unto the first death do not die the second. They, only, or they enter into eternal life, end of quote. It was Paul who said in Philippians 1 verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's why I think Paul must have been the most frustrating guy to deal with. You catch him preaching the gospel, so what do you do? Well, we're going to put him in jail, so he'll stop preaching the gospel. And what does he do when he gets to jail? Well, now he's got a captive audience. And so he takes all of the jailers that are there with him and he says, hey, I got good news for you. I know this guy named Jesus and he's the greatest guy that you'll ever meet. And he just keeps on preaching to the jailers. We've got stories of that actually in the Bible. Oh, so now you're going to beat me. Well, you know what? <laughs> I am so amazed that you'd beat me. Why? Because you see, I think it's an honor to suffer for the one named Jesus. And so they beat him. And what does he do that night? He sings. He sings because he can't believe that he is counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And then they tell him they're going to execute him. And he says to them, you know what? You execute me, I win. What do you mean you win, Paul? He says, I win because now I'm going to receive the victor's crown. I think Paul must have been the most frustrating guy 
to ever deal with. Because no matter what you did with him, his life was so immersed in his relationship with Jesus that he couldn't stop talking about Jesus Christ. No matter what you did. What about you and I? Are our lives so immersed in our relationship with Jesus that no matter how you look at us, no matter how you deal with us, is Jesus the sole focus? I have a friend who's a retired first responder. He, he was telling me recently about another first responder that he knows who's in another part of the country, and he's just a young guy in his 50s, and he, he, um, he's in the last few days of his life, and so my friend was telling me how he was texting with him and just trying to encourage him. They're both followers of Jesus, and, uh, and he was telling me that he just said to him, he said, you know what, man? He said, you know, when we're both first responders, we, we went through doors that we just didn't know was on the other side of the door. But we did it because we're first responders and that's just what we do. And he said that as he's texting me, he said, you know, he says, as, as you get ready to take your final breath, you're going to go through a door. And when you go through that door, there's one waiting for you on the other side who he's watched you take every single step you've ever taken. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He's known you every step that you've taken. And the good news is, is that when you leave this particular journey that you're on and walk through that final doorway, he'll greet you on the other side. His name's Jesus and you know him. I was just so blessed by our conversation as he was telling me. He was trying to encourage his friend. And I thought, wow, What's that journey going to be like as he takes that final step from this world into the next world where he'll spend all of eternity? I thought, I don't know what that's really going to be like, but what a great step that will be to open that final door and go through into that next journey into eternity. But he does know our name, and he does watch every step that we take. And so as we wrap this up this morning, let me just review these three thoughts. Thought number one is that there's a significance to worship. It changes our perspective, and I think that's so healthy for us. And there's a significance to Jesus being the first and the last. It brings such comfort to us in the midst of whatever we may be going through. And thirdly, the third thought is this. There's a significance that Jesus knows. He sees and he knows. And some of us today, we just needed to be reminded of that. And so don't be afraid. Be faithful. Hang in there. Walk the journey that he's got for you because he's with you each and every step that you are taking. He knows. Be faithful. Hang in there. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you're so good to us. Even in the hard times, you're good to us because you walk every step that we take. You're faithful. You are the first and the last you're amazing. And so, Lord, whatever it is that we may be going through today, we give you thanks for the journey that we are on, even in the hard times, because we know that we can count on the one who is the first and the last. And so as we worship God, remind us, change our perspective, help us to realign and refocus on you, so that we can truly walk the walk that you want us to walk, focusing our attention solely on you. And we'll give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. 
In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.